0: it is that you want the Lord to say to you today, would you ask Him to please speak to you, just as I am trusting Him to speak to me as well. Ask Him to give you a word for whatever situation you are facing in your life. Ask Him to open your ears, to see no man, but to hear Him speaking directly to you. That ought to be all of our heart cry this morning. Gracious Father, I thank you for yet another opportunity for all of us to hear your word, even as we continue on our journey home to you. Lord, my prayer this morning is that you will speak to each and every one of us. Strengthen our feeble hands. Strengthen our weary hearts. Give us words that we'll hold on to, that will cause us to know that of a truth, you are still with us. And that everything happening to us is working out your purpose for our lives. That, O Lord, is our heart cry this morning. Grant our petition, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning, church. Please sit down. Thank you very much. Thank you, sirs, for giving me the privilege to share with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. You know, when we came in and the hymn for sermon was um, A&M 307, I just marveled at the things that God does. Because while I was kneeling and looking up to God, this, that was the exact song that came to my own heart Stand up, stand up for Jesus. So when I came in and it was a song, I said, Yes, Father, thank you. It is really you that is helping us. Amen. Like we already know, the um, topic for today's sharing is grappling. With life's paradoxes, grappling with life's paradoxes. And I was looking again at the hymn 547 that we sang. I actually began to look for 307 here before I realized that that was A and M and not um, this one. When we're singing A and M, you realize that some of the the verses had to do with um, encouraging us to stand and to stand and to stand and to stand and one one portion of the of a stanza says when duty calls or danger be not wanting there another one says strength to strength oppose and, and, and those are words that i have always looked at each time i sang that song strength to strength oppose so uh, there is a battle there is a contention for something and we have strength you know in in that hymn as well it says um, the arm of flesh will fail you you dare not trust your own and so the the opposition equally has strength but we that are fighting also have strength and so there is an opposition the, the strength is opposing strength. And the question is, who is going to win this battle? Praise the Lord. Unfortunately, I really do not have a lot of time this morning. In hymn 547 that we sang, I also began to look at it. It is not a hymn I'm familiar with. But God has helped me to begin to see each of the hymns we sing. Not just as a song that you can, uh, you can mindlessly sing. Sometimes we do that. You're just singing along, but you're not really looking at the words. So when I began to look at this, I began to see in verse 2 that it says, Though he may send some affliction to you, but make me long for home. For in love and not in anger, all his chastenings will come. And the word is will come, not may come. And so there are chastenings that will come. In the course of my life, and in the course of your own life, if you look at that hymn again, it says, "He will hide me; he will hide me where no harm can ever betide me. He will hide me, safely hide me in the shadow of his hand." Verse three says, "Enemies may strive to injure, because are they not striving to injure? They don't relent. They don't give up. They mount pressures on us." And you will understand that the onslaught of attack of the enemy is formidable. He doesn't want to give you any gap. He wants to ensure that he crushes and crushes you totally. And so he says, enemies may strive to injure. Satan, all his arts employ. He doesn't leave any armory behind in his fight with us. God will turn what seems to harm me into everlasting joy. Amen. Please go back and and look at that. Look at the um, 307. Look at this one again. And and pray them. And believe them. And allow the words to get into you. Now we're looking at grappling with life's paradoxes. And our text came from Psalm 73, verses 2 to 20. And I want to take a look at the word um, um, grappling which is the present continuous form of the word grapple. And what does it mean to grapple? To engage in a close fight or struggle without weapons. We are fighting, we are wrestling. That's what it means. There is a hand-to-hand combat. And when I look at paradox, it means a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or Proposition which investigated may prove to be well-founded or true. Sorry for all this high-sounding grammar. What am I saying a paradox is? Two things that are most unsimilar, but somehow they are coexisting. If this one is true, this one can also not be true, but somehow they are there. And so we are being made to understand that in our lives there are paradoxes. If you don't have them, me, I have them. have grappled with things that I did not just understand. That I just have not been able to make head or tail out of. But they are there. They are there in our lives. So we see that these are statements that are contradictory. And they are mutually opposed to each other. They are inconsistent. But we see them in our lives. So then in Psalm 73... We see the speaker, Asaph, that's not a psalm of David. It's Asaph, one of the leaders of his um, choirs, was singing that one. And he began to describe what he perceived to be the lot of the wicked. And in his eyes, and I noted that carefully, before he began to say those things that he was saying in Psalm 73, he agreed in verse 3 that he was envious. He said, for I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong, and so on and so forth. Of course, that is not always true. But because he was envious, his eyes were discolored. And English people tell us that the grass is always greener. Where? On the other side. So that was all he could see. They were not sick. They were well. They were prospering. I am not saying that it doesn't happen. Actually, sometimes it happens. Look at Nigeria today. They are the people that will be able to send their children abroad to study in the UK and in the US. And so when they come back, they have certificates that are better than that of the, uh, the, those of the normal children. And so they get the more presti- prestigious jobs. And so they keep prospering. And then the rest of us are looking, uh-uh, what is happening? But God has his word for us this morning so when we allow ourselves to pursue this line of thought i mean the line of thought of asaph in psalm 73 when you allow yourself to begin to be envious looking at the people around you and beginning to think that they are doing better than you they're doing better than anybody else you arrive at verse 13 of that same psalm 73 and what does verse 13 say surely in vain have i kept my heart pure In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued, I have been punished every morning. Now, as I was looking at this, I began to understand that this is a very dangerous position to allow yourself to get to as a child of God. If you allow yourself to get to a position where you look at circumstances of of the, so to say, godless people and our own circumstances and you begin to wonder, so what is it all about? What am I even doing all this for? Why am I making an effort to be righteous? Why am I struggling like this? I remember a friend of mine, one of the sisters that helped me when I gave my life to Christ nearly many years ago. She got married, she got into school as a young person and got born again. So she actually just had nothing to do with immorality and all that. She actually was a virgin when she married. And she also married a believer who I don't remember now might also have been a virgin. So when she got married, what did she do? She began to make maternity clothes. She assumed it was a given. I'm going to have a child very soon. She didn't get pregnant though. It took years of prayer and fasting. But you look at the same girls that were in the hostel with you. Who were running in and out of abortion clinics. Having abortions. They will marry. Twins. Two boys. And she's doing party. She's putting billboards all over the place. And you stand back. And you begin to wonder. So what is the meaning of all this? Praise the Lord. But like I said, it is a very dangerous position for us to ever begin to say what is the benefit of our striving to work with God in righteousness. Now, if you go to Psalm 44, verses 9 to um, 11, 13, 15, 17 to 21, the speaker there also laments. But in that case, he was making a deep lament. That's Psalm 44. You pick some verses there. You can read all of it when you have time. And he was troubled because they were going through a very difficult time. But he was able to say, why are these things happening to us? God, we are living right. We are obeying you. We are following you. We have not seen though. He's not the one that will sin and then we know the punishment is coming for our sins. This one, we haven't done anything. The enemy is using us to do um, football. What is happening? And if you go to several other Psalms, you will see that this was exactly the case. Many times, some will say, God... Are you sleeping? Please rise up, arise! God, have you forsaken us? God, are you still with us? abby am I the only one that sees that in the Psalms? Several times they were asking such questions because they came to situations that they could not understand, and so they were being sincere. They were asking God questions: Why, why are the wicked um, prospering? Sincerely speaking, my brethren. Well, what benefit is the strong? Okay, before I get to that, now as I also began to think, what do I? How do I um, make sense of all this? If you go back to our text again in Psalm 73, and that would be verse 16. Our text, Psalm 73, verse 16, it says, "When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me." This is NIV. In King James, it says, "When he tried to understand all that, it was too painful." him so what is the conclusion of that matter if you sit down and begin to try to understand why it looks sometimes like the unrighteous are doing exceedingly well and are moving you may find that you're being oppressed you're not able to understand what is happening or why it's happening It to oppress your spirit so for me there are things that will never receive answers to this side of eternity so why bother That's not actually my business. But what is my business? Let me take you to what my business is. There are two ways we can look at the topic we have today. That is grappling with life's paradoxes. If you look at it from Psalm 73 angle that we saw, you will note the contradictions of life and begin to see, like we said, how it appears as if the godless are prospering. And all of that... And at the end of it, the speaker began to say, when he went into the temple, he saw their destruction. He saw their end. But do you know something? The Lord began to help me understand in the course of preparing this message that that their end is not really my business. Because if my enemies die, do uh, do I run a funeral home where I want to be an undertaker? Is there anything I'm doing with their corpses? Am I going to eat their corpses? It's not really for me to be waiting, these wicked people. I know that they will die. Eh, they will soon die. Eh eh, 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 that's not it. Does the scripture not say now for us New Testament believers that God does not delight in the death of a sinner? That's what he says. So for each and every one of them, God is also waiting for them to repent and to turn to him. It is mysterious. But I began to understand that that is really not what I should also be waiting for. That should not be a comfort to me, that they will soon perish. If that is my comfort, then I am wicked in my spirit. Because I should actually be praying for them. It doesn't matter how they look. It doesn't matter what they do. If I have understanding, I should be praying for them. God does not delight in the death of a sinner. Neither should I delight in the death of a sinner as his child. I should also not delight in the death of a sinner. So that approach is not our concern this morning. Our concern is the second approach. The second approach is to look at the paradoxes or contradictions of this life as they relate to me directly, as they relate to you, my sister and my brother, as they relate to you, child of God, who is here this morning. That one is our concern. Whether these paradoxes are there, yes they are. Whether there are many, yes. So what should be my concern? How to overcome? How to scale through? How to come out victorious and earn the reward that God has promised? That should be my focus this morning. Praise the Lord. So we, we, we sometimes get caught up in a web of very inexplicable things in our lives. Things we cannot explain, they are there we can't explain them, but we are caught up in the web of all of that. So what do we do? Some of us can easily identify the many paradoxes that we are currently grappling with. Many, many, many things that we are dealing with. Now, if you are in this category, like me oh, I'm there, who have been confronted with life paradoxes, the next thing will be to try to make sense of them. And then secondly, to seek to understand how to respond. Are there examples in the Bible of our brethren who were faced with such paradoxes? Yes, so plenty. In fact, I can't even enumerate them all. So we're going to just take very, very few. Number one is Joseph in Genesis 39, verses 7 to 9. We all know the story of Joseph. But I was struck with something that he said when all of a sudden his master's wife desired to sleep with him. We all know that story. And Joseph made a profound statement. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Do you know that, like, I mean, we have done a study on this before. If Joseph had slept with, with Potiphar's wife, there were endless benefits for him. He would have really enjoyed himself, promotion. Nobody would ever rebuke him. Nobody would ever say anything to him. She would make sure she was protecting him, helping him generally. But Joseph was able to overcome that temptation, and he said, I cannot sin against God. Now, let, me, let us see the result of that consecration. I will not do this wickedness against God. What was the result? Verse 20. It was the result of his determination to be righteous. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. That was the reward, though, for his effort to ensure that righteousness was upheld. Joseph was re, rewarded. Yes, so it was a reward. But the reward was that he was picked up and put in prison. And sincerely, if it was you, how would you feel? How would you respond? What would be your thoughts as you find yourself in, 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 in prison in this type of predicament? Chapter 40 of the same Genesis, verses 1 to 4. From there, I could deduce something. I could deduce that um, Joseph had been there for a while. I don't know how long, but he had been there for a while. And it was when he was still there in prison that the chief um, baker and the chief cupbearer offended the king and were both thrown into prison. And a part of that thing says, after they had been there for a while, some scriptures say, after they had been there for some time, we don't know how long. But while they were there, that means the police was real, he was in prison. They both had dreams and sought interpretation. And Joseph said, There is a God that I serve. That God, he has answers. He will tell you your dream, the meaning of the dream. And Joseph interpreted. And his dream, his interpretation came to pass. One of them was executed, and the other one was restored. But you know what Joseph said to that man in verse 14? He says, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. But what was the result? Verse 23 The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, he forgot him. That was the reward for his um, interpreting the dream and having him restored. Is that a paradox? Is that a contradiction? You might know, just forgot Joseph there and went on enjoying his life. What about Daniel in chapter 3? The king suddenly, chapter 3 of Daniel, the king suddenly set up this vast image and says everyone should bow before it. And all his um, officials had to bow at the sound of the, of the trumpet and the horn and all of that. Well, everyone did, except for those outstanding Hebrew boys who knew the law of God and knew that the Lord of God says, thou shalt not have any gods other than me Thou shall not bow down to them and all of that so they said no we're not going to bow to this image the boys stood their ground each time i read their bold response to the king he sends shivers down my spine because the king knew those boys were good they were um, um important officials in his kingdom he had entrusted so much to them so he knew they were good so he didn't really want to kill them and so he says if you will hear this thing, I'm going to give you another chance. And you bow, all will be well. But if not, you know I will carry out my threat. Honestly, that kingdom, those kingdoms are, they're really kingdoms. The kings carry out their threats without looking back. And so, the boys answered, I wish I could go to the Bible to read it, but I won't do that. They just said, Kingo, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. We are not careful at all. We will not bow down to this image. We will not do it. Because we can only bow down to the almighty God. And that God that we serve, that we stand in honor of him, refusing to bow to those things, he is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, we are ready to die. Do you know that those boys died at that time? They said that. They died though, because this kingdom does not joke. Once that saints, I don't you can imagine a king that his wife did not come out to greet people. That was the end of the marriage. He never set his eyes on Queen Vashti again. It's not a small kingdom at all. So they knew, even as they took that step that they were as good as dead. They knew. I love to read their response. But what was the result? They actually carried the rabbi and threw into the fire. It was just that God decided to intervene. Otherwise, they would have gone. Paradoxes of life. You would imagine that when they say, Sir, we're not going to do that to... Instantly there will be... Uh, what they call it now? Thunder across heaven. And they will brr like that. And the boys will be saved. And the kings and all his men will fall, fall, fall. Is that not what you expect? Yes, now, in honor of the great God of heaven. It didn't happen, no. They bound them very, very, very well. And threw them into, those, into, into the burning furnace. In, in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel himself had to pay an overnight visit to the lion's den no he did he paid an overnight visit to the lion's den what was his offense he prayed he simply prayed they said don't pray to anybody daniel didn't know what it would mean to pray to a human being so he went home and prayed and he went to visit the the lions in the den of lions again God saved him. What about Esther in the book of Esther? She was there minding her business. Minding her business, Jejeo, her uncle, said, Come, go and contest to the king's wife. She went. God favored her. She went there. The next thing Esther knew, her life was in danger. The life of her entire race was in danger. (laughs) What a contradiction. Do you know, if God did not intervene miraculously the way he did, plus Esther, plus Mordecai, plus every single Jew would have been wiped out. They would have. Because when you read that scripture, it tells you that, when the king puts his signet ring as a seal on something, the matter is concluded. It is irreversible, it is irrevocable. It must happen. Because even the king couldn't even change that law. They had to find a way of telling Mordecai to write something else. And then arm the Jews to stand and fight to defend themselves on that day because that law cannot be repealed. Praise the Lord. What about Mary, the mother of Jesus? She was there minding her business, so Holy Spirit came and met her in her room. And said you will be with child. A virgin. You know, we read it and it is sweet in the mouth. Do you imagine what it means as a virgin? The next thing you're carrying belly. It's such a contradiction. Probably only her few family members will believe her. There's no even if they say, Yeah, we know. I yeah, understand that yeah, we know. Yeah, you didn't see Aima, we know. And she had to face that contradiction. It couldn't have been easy for her. You know, we know she went to stay with her, her senior cousin for about three months. What about Ezra? Ezra went to do the work of God. He went to rebuild the temple that was in ruins. And when he got there, from day one, it was opposition. All of a sudden, the enemies will write a letter and send and say, Stop this work. They will stop the work. Sometimes it got so bad that at a point they will be they'll be building and then they are carrying weapons in their hands. Remember that? the weapon in one hand um, maybe maybe hammer in another hand and all of that and this was a man doing the counsel of God for goodness sake and see what they were going through it got to a point that a letter came, I think that was in chapter 6, i I'll be reading that letter but it was only recently that God opened my eyes to the weight of that letter, to the magnitude of that letter, it was that particular last letter that helped them to finish that please go back and read that letter, it's a most a most profound outstanding letter that is the demonstration of God's power when he wants to do something because the king was now writing all of you stay away from that place you that wanted to stop the work provide this one you do this you do that and you can imagine like I said in that kingdom you don't argue so all their enemies now had to go back to do what was in the letter it was a particularly encouraging letter. When I read that, I said, God, this is the type of letter that all my enemies will be receiving from you very soon. Amen. <laughs> I've not finished too. I've not finished. What about Paul? What about Paul? When Paul got converted, did he encounter paradoxes? Plenty. His own can be a, message, a whole message for a day. So we'll not go there. What about Jesus himself? He did. We just read, um, we're just reading about the events leading up to his death. And at a point, he was carrying the, the sin of you and me on his shoulder. And God had to look away. And Christ felt abandoned and dejected. And even cried out that the Father had abandoned him. Paradoxes of life. He had to also face his own paradox. In most of the stories that we read, actually, God intervened and delivered all those men of his. God delivered them. But do you know that the people that God didn't deliver? God allowed them to go through the crucible. They didn't come out alive. You remember that king that when the battle got very hot, he said, God, just give me victory. When I get home, the first thing that comes out of my house, I will sacrifice to you. He got home. His only daughter came out. There was no going back. She was sacrificed. God could have intervened. He did not. She died. What about Stephen? What did Stephen do? Absolutely nothing. He was just standing and contending for the truth. What happened? They stoned and stoned and stoned him until he died. What about John? He was banished to the island of Patmos. In Acts 12 verses 1 to 5, we saw a king there that arrested the brethren. And Bible said he had an intention. And the intention was to persecute them. That was his intention. He just woke up, went and arrested some people with an intention to persecute them. In fact, in verse 2, he had put James to death. He just killed James. And he saw that the people were very, very happy that he killed James. So he went and arrested more people. God allowed James to die. Paradoxes of life. We could go on and on with this, but we, we just needed to establish something. God allows these paradoxes, these challenges, these these seeming contradictions in our lives sometimes. It is not because we have sinned. It is not because we have done anything. It is because it is part of his plan and his purpose for us in the course of our journey back home to him. So what do we do when these things begin to happen? God needs to give us guideposts. He needs to give, he needs to give us guidelines. He needs to give us some tips on how to cope with some of these things as they come. Number one is that I will need to accept the situation and see it as another obstacle or hurdle that I have to overcome. I must accept that this thing is part of life. I do, do I know why it is happening to me? No, I don't know. I don't have the answer. Does God know that it is happening? Yes. What do I do? I accept it. And then I begin to look for how to surmount the obstacle. I begin to look for how to overcome that particular one. Number two, do not grumble. Kai okay. When it gets to this point, we grumble, we murmur, we grumble endlessly. Why me? Why does it have to be me? Why? Why? God, this, that... Remember what murmuring did to the children of Israel. I have come to understand in my life that God does not like murmuring. He doesn't. He doesn't like grumbling. So, whatever I do, I must try to avoid it. There's this song that our choir used to sing in this church many years ago. And sometimes I'll go back to Reverend Zubio okay, Cake and say, Reverend, please we should give us that song again. I'm so, some of the older people here will remember it. Grumble on Monday, grumble on Tuesday, you know. Grumble the whole week through, you're grumbling. When it's sunny, you're grumbling. When it is. Some people are like that, though, they grumble around the clock. God does not like it. When Saul and Paul and Silas were in prison, we didn't see them grumbling, no. They were put into prison for preaching. They caught them and put. they didn't grumble. The song we sing says, they prayed and they sang and the Holy Ghost came down. They didn't grumble. They didn't murmur. So that that will be our example. Praise the Lord. What else can I do? Rather than grumble, I can focus on all that God has done for me. Do we see examples of this in the Bible? Plenty. Plenty of examples you will notice when you're reading the psalms there are many many times the, the psalmists will go back and begin to trace the mighty acts of god his mighty deliverances and you begin to say god you did this god you did that god you did that and lately god has begun to help me with that also because mio i have some challenges that have lasted oh, prayer points for me of almost 20 years god has not answered. when will he answer i don't know am i still trusting him yes and forward ever backward never and then i'll begin to say god but you're the one that did this one but i just prayed this prayer and you answered it god what about this one god what about this one he hasn't answered maybe that is your own experience i'm holding on to him so we recount all that he has done and when we do that he has a way of bolstering our faith it helps to encourage our faith that god does, does awesome things and he will do this one. One song we used to sing in the Bible, in those days, says, We may not know how. We may not know when. He will do it again. I may not know how. I may not know when. But whether he will do it, I trust that he will do it. Amen. Another thing is to encourage ourselves in the Lord as David did. He encouraged himself in the Lord when it was tough. And his people were going to pursue him. They were going to pursue him. He, he encouraged himself in the Lord. And that's in Second Chronicles 27. We remember that, don't we? So I don't want to waste time on that. I refuse to be discouraged. And then I hold steadfastly. I must uphold my faith, my trust in the Lord. And in His ability to make a way for me. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take. But my own is to keep pushing. Do we remember the lady in the Bible? The importunate, that prayed the importunate prayer. She refused to go... And that justice said, if I don't answer this woman, she will wear me out. She's not planning to go anywhere. She will keep knocking on my door. I will not sleep until I answer her. So let me answer. So there are things we need to persevere in as we keep trusting God. You know, Nehman, when he dipped himself into that pool, he did it seven times. If Nehman stopped at number six, will the victory have come? Certainly not. The wall of Jericho, how many times did they go around? How many? If, he at, if they stopped at um, 6.5, would it have happened? No. They had to do it. The man at the pool of Siloam had been there for how long? 38 years. I've just told him my own prayer point that is pursuing 20 years that God has not answered. That man was there for 38 years. Everybody would have said, this man, just forget it. Your own case is finished. It was not finished. Amen. Jesus came. And the day that Jesus came, what happened? His story changed. Jesus will come for you. He will come for me. It doesn't matter how long it has been. Let us hold on to him. The day he comes, those testimonies will come. This man was there, because 38 years is there, and all that, he was there. But the Lord came for him. At the wedding in Canaan, what happened? Wine finished. You invited people, your wine finished. Embarrassment. And Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And they did. Obedience. Do you know this word? I find it very strange. Carry water and go and give. They carried water and went to give. Please, there's a, a scripture we must read. Yes, I think I'm, I'm fine now. 2 Samuel 23. Please open it. We'll, pro, we'll probably be tying up there. 2 Samuel 23. That's where we... Please, everyone, open your Bibles to that. I want all of us to look at it. So I was saying before I get into Second seconds, some that. If those servants did not have faith, at the time Jesus told them to carry water, had it turned into wine? No, it was just the water they poured there. They could have said, ah, why is this material also You know, what Jesus should have done, that Jesus should have gone to that, those jars and did... and put his hand. Then they would know he had done something. So, even if they would know Jesus had, Or he will go and dance around the jars. Then they would know that he had done something. Just yesterday, somebody was sharing that. It made sense to me. When, the, uh, when Jesus had to feed the 5,000 with uh, the five loaves and two fishes, when he told them, sit down, they sat down. And then they began to break the bread. And he gave Peter, Peter, I'm going to take this one go and distribute. Uh, you, John, take this one and go and distribute. The bread had not multiplied though, But they collected the bread in faith and moved on. So it was as they broke off and gave this brother bread, it didn't end. They gave this sister bread, it didn't end. They gave sister and I got bread. That was when the miracle started happening. When they went in obedience, I don't know what God is going to be telling you to do, or me to do in my situation. It is in the doing that our victory will come. So I'm going to read 2 Samuel. Please permit me to do that, and that is where we are going to be tying up. I'll read it myself. Um, Second Samuel. 2 um, Samuel. Let me start 2 Samuel 23. Is that what I said? Okay, I'll read from verses 8. These are the names of David's mighty men. Joseph Bashebeth, a Terchemite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men, whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahohite as one of the three mighty men he was with david when they taunted the philistines gathered at pass damin for battle then the men of israel retreated please pay attention to that they were in a battle and at the height of that battle bible says then the men of israel retreated but look at verse 10 but he stood his ground who was it that took his, who stood his ground here eleazar eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines, till his hand grew tired, and froze to the sword. Please keep looking at it. I'm reading from NIV. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. So what happened here? These people were called David's mighty men. Did you see that? They were not called mighty men for nothing. They were not called mighty men because they were eating rice and beans. They were called mighty men because they did exploit do you know that God is looking for how to put me and you in his list of his mighty men that's what God is looking for but for God to enroll me or enlist me there it will not be because I I ate shawarma last night and drank coke it will be because I fought and I fought gallantly and I emerged victorious do you know that in the heat of the battle there were troops there they ran back Eleazar decided to stand his ground. And when Eleazar stood his ground, God took over. That's what I saw there. The moment he took, he took his stand and refused to roll like the others, God came. Heaven helped him. And he began to slaughter the Philistines. So much the Bible says, his hand grew tired and froze to his pair. How did that happen? Because, in my understanding, an angel was holding his hand at that time. It was no longer Eliezer. And it was because he refused to retreat when others did. But do you know those ones that retreat? They came back home. Oh, they came back. Look at it. In that place. It says, they now came. The Bible is very sweet. The Bible says, but only to strip the dead. They came for the spoil. They came to collect booty. Eliezer stood. Do you know that when you and I stand and fight and image victorious, our family members that were looking at the Bible, look at her, or Bible, look at her. They will come back home. They will, because I know that in my own case, some of my testimonies that have started coming, my people are talking differently. Many years ago, many, many years ago, I was in a state of confusion when I was newly widowed. And I had a child that was ill. We were always in and out of hospital. One day we were having a discussion. And a very close relative of mine, who is also a Christian, said to me, but you know, it's because you don't have a testimony. That is why you're talking like that. I went home. I cried. I said, God, they have told me what I already know. They said, I have no testimony. They've told me I have no testimony. I'm carrying Bible following you. Where is the testimony? I finished crying. I ran to one of our elders in the fellowship. I said, auntie, they've told me what I've always been suspecting in my mind. This is my following. I have nothing to show for it." She laughed. She said, They said you have no testimony. You are standing in the face of what is happening to you. is your testimony. Today, the same people are carrying my story all over the place. Praise the Lord. And the testimonies have not finished. More will come. But we have to stand. These ones came. They came to strip the dead. There is another one there and will be done. Verse 11. Are you there? Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. Another battle. Another battle. The Philistines came. And this time around, the troops fled again. They fled. But what happened in verse 12? But Shaman took his place in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. For God to bring about the victory we're looking for, there must be a standing. Imagine standing alone in the, in the middle of the field. All with their arms and spears, Run and left you. Shaman decided to stand. Again, because he stood. The Bible says, the Lord brought about a great victory. That's what happened because Shaman stood. I am resolved that I'm going to stand. Many times I've come to the point where I look the devil, if I said, devil, I know this you're doing. You will not have this victory over me. I say it, even if I'm crying, Satan, you will not defeat me. You will not. These are brethren stood. Do you know? When this topic came for me, I looked at it, I opened the program. I started laughing. I said, God, maybe I haven't passed this test before. Because those of you that are in this church will know that some years ago, I shared a similar topic, even though the Lord has brought it from another angle. But yes, we shared um, um, standing at um, crossroads. And when I looked at I started laughing. I said, God, I haven't passed this test yet. So I'm the one that will bring this again. And do you know, at the end of that message, some years back, God said the conclusion of the matter was to stand. And having done all, stand. Today again i was surprised i was looking at god he said stand there's no other way you must be found standing whatever it will cost you stand you must stand it is only as i stand you know that song we're singing said the arm of flesh will fail you it's not me but when i stand and god sees me standing he takes over the battle did the song not say that the, bat- the bible not say that the battle is his His battle is his, but I must be found standing. I was just imagining, if Shaman had gone from that field of lentils, would God have brought angels from heaven to come and fight the battle? He needed human vessels. He needed human beings to stand and defend their field. Defend their territory. One person is enough. Just one person. May God make me that person that will stand for him. Because he stood, the battle was won. God used him god used him and so as we tire because our time is done but i'm happy i think most of what god wants us to, to uh, hear today has come when i am standing and looking at the um, the paradoxes of life as they relate to me having done all i must stand i will pray i will sing i will cry i will fast when i do all that i stand there is no other way to do it. And when, we, when God finds us standing, standing sincerely, standing with our eyes looking up to Him, that is when He will begin to manifest in whichever way He wants to solve the problem. Would you like to stand and let us pray together?
1: The Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, And having done all to stand, that passage the word of God was telling us to put on the whole armor of God in verse 13 it says and having done all to stand as the preacher has spoken there are so many paradoxes there are many things in life there are many things facing us there are things we know there are things we don't know even here this morning some of us our hearts are trembling but God is saying that he can give you the power he can give you the power to live as a child of God he can give you the power to be a victor God is giving us the power to live above Satan above the world above the flesh God is giving the power to live as a child of God in righteousness. And he says, he wants us at the end of all our struggles, all our walkings, all our gathering to worship, all our war and battle with the devil, that at the end of the day we should be standing. We should be victorious. Can you begin with a prayer for yourself, a brief prayer? God, I want at the end of all this to be standing. At the end of the day, I want to be a success. I will not fall by the way. The devil will not win in my life. The enemy will not win in my family. The devil will not win in the life of my children my husband my wife the devil will not win we are victors father we receive the victory we receive grace we need you lord closer now more than ever before there are so many things happening so many challenges a lot of things want to put fear in our hearts father Give us that victory And keep us in victory We have decided That we are following you Nobody is compelling us Nobody is forcing us Lord We are your children And our desire is to follow you Lord Jesus Today we ask you Continue Lord to empower us Continue Lord to support us Continue to support us and sustain us in this race. We receive victory in the name of Jesus. God will receive that victory. Keep us faithful unto the end. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.